I'm Keila Fowler and welcome back to Loves to Chat TV edition. In these episodes, I'm going to dive into some of my favorite television shows, the good, the bad, the what's going on. And we are going to recap weekly episodes. Maybe some of it's binging, maybe some of it is a one-off, but I am going to dive into the stuff I'm watching that I hope you're watching too, because we need to talk about it. I love talking about television. It's one of my favorite things to do besides watching it. And this is going to be our opportunity to talk about what we're watching and how it's going. Now, you know, it's only as much fun as it can be when we are talking about it back and forth. I have so many DM conversations and text message conversations with people about the TV shows that we are watching. It's time we do it on the podcast. So we're going to get out of the DMs, get into the comment section, and you and I are going to get into it and as a community, talk about what we're watching. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I am so pumped because we have a jam-packed week of television to review. It was epic. We have a couple of shows coming around the bend to close out with their season finales coming up soon. We have a particular season finale. We have a new show that we're bringing in and this has just been a fantastic week of TV. So let's get right into it, starting today with Ted Lasso, season three, episode 10. Okay, so we open up the episode with Nate being out and we find out that he quit. So I, I see them trying, them being the writers, I see them trying to turn things around. They're tr I feel like it's a personal love note to me in particular because I have been on the case about how much I dislike Nate. Nate, uh, see, I can't even say his name right now because I'm so annoyed by him, but it is turning around. They are bringing back the Nate that we once really knew and loved, and I'm here for it. So after all of the nonsense, Nate really seeing exactly who Rupert is, which Rupert was always very clear about who he was, but still, Nate has decided this is not the place for me. Get me out of here. We have an interesting week because there's the international play, which allows all of the um, all of the teams to the I guess like the home teams, the the countries get to corral their greatest players, and they play team against team, country against country. So Jamie gets to play for England. Van Dam is playing for Canada. Danny's playing for Mexico. Bumbercatch, which I did not even know his name. I know nobody's surprised at this point, but still, they really don't say all of the players' names until it's a thing. He's playing for Switzerland, and Colin is playing for Wales. But Nigeria has not recruited Sam. And man, it made me sad. I was like, come on, what is going on? Who doesn't want Sam Obosania? Like, we all want Sam. <sighs> okay, Danny is terrifying as an opponent. He is the most chipper, joyful, love is football, football is love player when he is your teammate. But against Van Dam, he's a nightmare. 
he crushed his chips on the airplane and <laughs> let all the crumbs fall on the ground. He snacked, snacked him, smacked him in the face with the, with the soccer ball. He broke the dude's nose. Like, and then after all of that, he's like, bend down my brother. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Damn, he's scary when he is not your teammate. And now we know that that was like a new level unlocked that we had no idea about. So then we have Rebecca clearly needing to have girl talk with Keely, but <laughs> Keely's away, Sassy's away. She, she has to bring in Leslie. She has to bring in Ted. She, it, I'm trying to remember it was, who else was available for that? Beard would actually have been pretty good for that. But they're talking about the Super League. So Edwin Akufu, who I'd forgotten about that dude, that dude was the worst. And then reminded us again that he is, in fact, the worst. He's trying to put together the Super League. I loved the way that Rebecca was the voice of reason. We're going to get back to that in a moment, but still, just going sequentially in order of what happened in the episode, Rebecca getting a call from Rupert and him wanting to invite her to the Super League, it was really interesting to see how she grew in this particular season, but definitely we saw the moment in this episode where she was able to see that Rupert doesn't have a hold over her anymore. He doesn't get to be the reason or the definitive indicator for what she does or doesn't do, how she does and doesn't feel. And I was so proud of her and so happy for her because she doesn't need to, she just doesn't need to worry about that dude anymore. She's She's running her own race. She's got her own thing going on. She doesn't have to deal with that dude anymore. Okay, Keely's funding was pulled. I love how they're making it seem as though it wasn't specifically Jack who did it. Because I absolutely, I absolutely think it was Jack who did it. I mean, yeah, it could be that like the, I don't know what, the, the firm, the exec board, whatever it is decided to do that because of the issue with the tape that came out, the like her videos and stuff getting leaked the week before. But you really, I mean, I don't know, Jack's been ghosting her and acting like a doofus. So I think absolutely that Jack had something to do with that, but fine. Weird information we learned. Coach Beard has 17 axes. <laughs> I, he is so perfectly strange. And every single time we get to hear from him, it's like another little sprinkling of what in the world, which is just joyful. And I love it. I want Sam and Rebecca back together so desperately. I know, I know it's me, but goodness, every time I see those two together, I just see so much joy and happiness and love and respect for each other. And why can't we figure this thing out? Come on. I mean, please, I just, they're, they're spectacular. And I hope that we're gonna, I hope that the writing team is giving us little, little breadcrumbs towards a path of the two of them reconciling. I really hope so, because I love them so much. So, we have, oh man, oh man, oh man. 
we have Phoebe collecting <laughs> the swears in her swear jar. That is hilarious. It's not even that she has a swear jar. It's like she has a swear tab. And at this point, you have, oh, Roy Kent. You have Roy, who's like, put it on my tab. At this point, right? Like, <laughs> he's like willfully choosing his his language based on like what he needs in that moment. And it cracks me up. And I love that Phoebe is essentially his kryptonite. Like, he can't not just love her and show up for her and support her and wear her ridiculous t-shirt that's red, orange, and yellow for Roy. All that tie-dye t-shirt was so hideous and so sweet. And man, he wore, it, it was hilarious to see everybody's reaction as he walked through <laughs> the building. Oh, that was epic. I love that she celebrated Uncle Day. And I was like, dude, we, we need to have an aunt and uncle day. As an aunt, I would appreciate having a day. I really would. And if Phoebe's in charge, I know it'll be spectacular because wow, she she did the most and it was amazing. <laughs> I'm giggling because Roy literally said to her, bill me. And Jamie, she says to Jamie, you owe me a pound. You made me think it, right? Like Jamie, Sorry, that's my chair. Jamie didn't even have to say the things, but she was like, she was putting the pieces together mentally. And then she's like, uh, Jamie, you owe me a pound. And he's like, but I didn't say it. She's like, yeah, but you made me think it. And that's kind of the same. <laughs> that was amazing. Okay. So we have Edwin Akofu, who is an absolute jerk. He's going to open a, he just hates Sam. We know, we get it. I truly at this point cannot actually remember the origin of that nonsense. I remember, was he like trying to poach Sam and Sam didn't want to go? I honestly don't remember. What I do remember is that apparently this dude cannot let anything go. And that's when we find out that he paid the Nigerian team $20 million to keep him off. Like that was horrible heartbreaking like it's just upsetting that somebody as lovely as Sam is being barred from greatness it's just not okay so Nate goes home he is sulking and wallowing as he needs to and his mom's feeding him which is sweet and beautiful and one of the wonderful things about if you have a family who behaves that way in which like you can always go home and they'll take care of you it was lovely to see that and it was also lovely to see him have that conversation with his dad and to see that that in fact has been the issue that Nate had with Ted it's his daddy issues and I don't know that I put that together before but I literally wrote wait is Nate's anger at Ted, has it really been daddy issues this whole time and I missed it? And the answer is yes. I absolutely missed it. He cannot get over 
the unrealistic expectations that his father put on him and also the way that his dad like belittled him and made him feel like what he did was never enough and yet it's so interesting because it was like Nate with his relationship with Ted Ted always respected him and built him up and gave him opportunities and it was almost like any slight little bit of, I don't even know what, because I truly cannot remember why Nate is so upset. But it seems like even the slightest bit of not having that, or even being like, he felt dismissed by Ted or something, was enough, like, it was like a crucial hurt, which was a misplaced hurt. And so it's really fascinating to have seen the conversation that Nate had with his dad and how they reconciled. And his dad was basically saying like, you're a genius. I didn't know how to raise you. I just did the best that I could, but I just wanted you to be happy. And yet that's definitely not the way in which he went about the way that he spoke to Nate and behaved towards Nate growing up. But it was nice to see them have that reconciliation. So, Keely's losing it. She goes drinking, which, hey, do what you gotta do. And May is just like, man, May is a great character. We love May. Rebecca remembers to be strong, like her inner child, which was like super sweet. I loved that. And Roy, in his conversation with the teacher, recognizes that oh right in him being all heavy and intense and stuck in his own head and dealing with his own stuff he's recognizing how he really hurt keely when she said she being the teacher said just hope that messed it and caused too much damage and you see the aha moment that roy has and you're like oh yeah you get it right keely gives great advice to rebecca which in turn is great advice to all of us when she says Remember at one point they were all just little boys and I was like, ain't that the truth? We give so much deference sometimes to grown men as if they are supposed to be the, the wise ones, the ones who know what's going on. But when you remember that they're little boys, they were all just little boys at one point. And you think about that scenario, you're like, wait, seriously, I'm going to listen to this dude. Like, it's, it's, this is, I'm not saying this to talk down about men or boys. It's more of a like inner check yourself of, for myself as a woman, I absolutely recognize that there was a shift that I didn't even think about or really notice until this particular episode. But when I was a kid, the, the girls just, talking in generalizations. The girls, we were smart. We were on top of it. We knew what was going on. And as a teacher, that was that was often my experience too. The girls are like on it. They're on top of their game. They're aware. They're evolved. They're in touch with their emotions, right? And the boys are just like, what are they doing, man? Right? And yet somehow as people mature into adulthood 
it's like we just go ahead and give dudes the oh you you're the ones who have it together and who must know the answers and who who've got it going on and you're like but why because what when did they actually demonstrate that and the answer is they don't it's just patriarchy so whether you agree with this or not that's you know your prerogative but I just really appreciate the advice that Keely gave to Rebecca and the like reflection moment that it gave for me. That was pretty cool. So there was a moment <laughs> that I literally had tears in my eyes. And it was the moment that Jamie walked onto that field and wore Sam's number 24. I cried. It wasn't just tears. I literally cried. I was like, that is what true support and friendship looks like. It was just so, it was so beautiful. I loved it. I loved it so much. So then we have Rebecca and the, you know, the whole group at the Super League meeting and Rebecca being the voice of reason. She's like, are, are, are you idiots? Because... First of all, yes. But second of all, write that lovely impassioned speech about the fact that this is not a game just for us, just for like the 1%, just for the people who happen to have money and access. This is for all the people. This, this sport is something that connects people, that brings them together. Why would we want to keep that from people? And she does a great job of recalling a story that really connected with Rupert because it was about him being a kid and what he did to be able to eventually own the team, yada, yada, yada. And then Rupert somehow takes that as a moment to try to get back with her at the end. And I was like, absolutely not. Rebecca is Taylor Swift. We are never getting back together like ever about that nonsense. And the fact that Rupert thought otherwise, ugh, gross. So we wrap up the episode with several things. We have Roy writing the letter to Keely, the two of them getting together. We have Rebecca getting ready to fund Keely's, um, uh, her business. We have Keely having Barbara come back on. I know I didn't talk about the snow globe, but the snow globe moment was super cute. How Keely, you know, Keely respects Barbara. And I think Barbara finally sees that. And um, it was great that Barbara's like, I'm not, I can't accept this because this, I don't take, I don't do the snow globes until I've left a place and she's not leaving. And that was really sweet. Will walks in to the job being done because Nate actually learned how to say sorry. He's like starting to see the mistakes that he's made. And so he's doing, he's doing a solid for Will. And the team is back together. The team's back together. And Rebecca wants to win for Richmond. Not for beating Rupert, but for all of us. I, I just think this season has been spectacular. And I am getting very sad that we are coming to the end in just two more episodes. And I am thankful for every bit of joy and excitement and loveliness and what's going to happen that they have given us this season. It is fantastic. Two more to go. Stay tuned.
Okay, it's time that we talk The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Season 5, Episode 8. This episode was better. We're, we're getting to a better place, but I want to say we get nine episodes. And this is Episode 8, so we are almost at season and series finale of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And it's making me long for the first four seasons because... They were just better. I saw somebody make a comment on, I think, the Instagram saying that the episode with Susie's roast would have been better to have as the last episode. And I kind of agree with that. But I also try really hard not to listen to or look at or read or con consume is the word. Try not to consume other people's reviews or comments on the shows that I'm watching because I don't want to be, I, I'm biased by my own opinion, but I don't want to be influenced by other people's thoughts and ideas. And so I tend to kind of either avoid them altogether or if it's episode specific, read it after the fact. So after the fact being after I've reviewed it with y'all on the podcast. So, okay, we have Joel having a flashback, Midge having a flashback as they're talking or waiting for the teacher to talk about Abe. They're not there to talk about Ethan. They are there to talk about Abe and how they never want Abe to come back because he is horrendous, which is hilarious. And we should not be surprised. But Joel and Midge, I'm like, and the two of them couldn't work it out. And I think it's such a beautiful example of how sometimes people are maybe better as friends than they are in a relationship with each other because things were great until they weren't and we're gonna get back to this in a moment when we talk about the the note that past Midge wrote to her future self but I think that it's easy to look at this scene and go, oh, those, those two are destined to be. They should just get back together. They shouldn't have broken up in the first place. And I think that's short-sighted. I think that they needed to separate. And based on where we see them in the future, it doesn't look like they're together, but they are still intact in terms of their friendship and the way that they look out for each other and co-parent and are still very much a part of each other's lives. And I think that that in and of itself is the thing. I was gonna say enough, but it's not about it being enough. It's just what works for them. So after the scene with the teacher, I wrote, are we back? Happy Keela? Meaning like, am I gonna start feeling good about this episode again? The, the answer is yes, I definitely felt better. So, Dina is helping to get things back on track with James on Susie's behalf. And she had a really great point of like, did you really say to him, it's not your turn? And if you're just looking at the idea of Midge being Susie's client first versus James coming on later, you're not looking at all of the other parts. It's easy to be like, well, I mean, it's true, right? And there is a, there's a, um, I'm trying to think of what it's called. 
it's a particular um, concept that is escaping me right now. But it's basically about how all of the parts of your identity are interconnected. It, that's what it is. It's intersectionality. And the idea of intersectionality is that you are never just one part of your identity. You're all of the parts of your identity. And often it is the intersection of all of those parts of your identity that, that are the, uh, like the equation to what it is that you experience. So when it comes to, yeah, James is a man. And so instantly your brain might say, Hey, privilege, but he's also a black man. And so you can't ignore how his privilege as a man is interconnected with his oppression as a black person. So it was just a really interesting point. I love that they didn't like hammer it down your throats or whatever, but it's, it's true, right? Like as, as a black person in the sixties, yeah. He, he needs all the breaks that he can get. As just a person, like, can we for a moment just consider that the reality is everyone needs help. Everybody needs a step up. Everybody needs somebody to say, hey, let me vouch for this person. Let me give this person an opportunity. Because that's just what it is. So, Abe is... <laughs> Abe is testing Esther and it's hilarious because he's, he's, you see him and Rose having the conversation about whether or not Esther is going to go to the book. And then Rose is talking about whether or not there's candy there because she's a child. Like if there's not candy involved, why would she want to read your boring book to which he talks about not even understanding the book himself. So then is it in fact a level of an indicator of like genius that Esther is not going to the book because she recognizes that no one understands the book. And so it would be below her to do so. That whole thing, hilarious. You have the entire scene of Midge going back to Bryn Mawr, seeing her friends. I could have done without all of that. It, I think it went on longer than it needed to. We didn't actually need to see all of that history and blah, 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 but it was nice. But then we get to Midge's letter from her past self where she says, don't. And I said, we we're going to come back to this. And I, I'm curious about if she was trying to tell herself, don't marry Joel. They left it a little up to interpretation. And I have two theories. I have one that it's that. The second theory, and by that, I mean, the first theory is that Past Midge was trying to tell future Midge, don't. Don't go the traditional route. Don't just get married, have your 2.5 kids, do the I'm a happy housewife and not live for yourself, not have your big dreams and go for them. I think that's the first theory. Second theory is connected with what Hetty, Gordon Ford's wife, what Hetty says to her upon writing the the joke, which was it? I'm trying to think. It was the 
Oh, I didn't even write that down. That was interesting. But when Hetty and her talk and Hetty's trying to compliment her on the bit that she wrote, that was her idea. And then Midge tries to downplay it and say, oh yeah, the guys helped out. And then Hetty says to Midge, don't, don't do that. Don't downplay your work take ownership over it the guys do it and I don't necessarily agree with that in terms of if guys take take credit for the work of women then women should take credit for the work of men I don't agree with that but I do agree with the fact that if something if you did something if it was yours if it was a team effort that's one thing but if if you were the person who created the idea and who executed then it's you and don't pass off the the um, the accolades to somebody else. So those are the two theories of what Midge actually meant to herself. And I think she truly does remember. I find it hard to believe that she doesn't. But maybe she doesn't. I don't know. So Princess Margaret. Oh, that's what it was. It was the whole weather bit. So Princess Margaret's on the show. I was really excited about that because I am a big fan of the crown and... I'm interested in the royal family and all of those kinds of things. So that was pretty cool. And at that point, I was clear that I think I am right. I absolutely think that Gordon blocked Midge from going on the par show. And the reason why is when he was talking about how they were going to blow Jack Parr's show out of the water and they were going to get nominated for an Emmy and this puts us ahead. I found myself thinking, oh, that's exactly it. He's unwilling to have Midge on his show because he wants to follow that stupid rule that isn't even his rule. But he's also unwilling to let Jack Parr get the benefit of having Midge on his show. So I am 100% convinced that Gordon blocked Midge getting on that show. And I believe that's gonna come out next episode. And it, it had better. I mean, we're just supposed to pretend that this is just some, some like, ooh, where did that come from? Like, come on, come on. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Hetty makes it clear to Midge that she knows Susie by calling her Susan every time she refers to her and then letting them know, letting her know like, oh yeah, we were roommates. And that's when you're like, uh-oh, this is going to be an issue because Midge goes to Susie and she said something great, which is worth us all keeping track of, which is if you don't do this, meaning if Susie doesn't talk to Hetty, about talking to Gordon to get Midge on Gordon's show. If Susie doesn't do that, Midge will always know that Susie could have done something more and didn't do it. And she can't, she'll never be able to let that go. And ain't that the truth, right? It's like, Wait, so you you know that there's something that could get you there and yet you're not going to do it? And I think what's different about this is this is this is I mean this is how deals are made, right? She said like you well, I'm not going to say what she said cuz it's 
we keep the show clean. But she's like, you you basically went into like the the naked man's wash house, right? And jumped over one person after another to get to whomever to get James on that show or in that movie or whatever. And you won't step over one for me? And that's just, like, Susie just has to put her personal stuff aside because it's it's what's necessary. And this isn't about, like, it's not the same as if when, I'm sorry, I, I know I keep, like, starting and stopping. What I'm trying to say is this. There's all kinds of blah, 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 blah about how women get ahead. And it's infuriating, even the idea of getting ahead. Because ahead of whom? Who are we getting ahead of? What we're talking about, though, is like advancement in your career. And if a woman gets, it advances in her career because she knew somebody who knew somebody who could put in a good word, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like Midge is trying to sleep her way to the top, which is what Gordon wants from her, by the way. I I don't know why we're not pretending like Gordon isn't a scumbag. Gordon's a scumbag. I'm just going to say it. I don't like Gordon. You all know this at this point. I can't stand the dude. His, like, his character can kick rocks. I want nothing to do with this dude. But he would want to sleep. He does. He wants to sleep with Midge. And she's like, I, I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to do that to my career. But... She's tried to go directly to him. She has tried to go to the agent. She's tried to go to the producer, right? She's done all the things that she can do. She's gotten close to being booked on Jack Parr's show and let him know ahead of time, hey, you can book me first. And Gordon refuses. So if what's needed is his wife to pull whatever strings she has to be like, put Midge on your show, then so be it. But there's nothing inappropriate about that. And Susie can't not do the right thing by talking to Hetty to get Midge on the show. So, yeah. And as Hetty says to Gordon, which I am very curious to see more, hear more about, she says, because you owe me. So what's that about? Why does Gordon owe Hetty? We, uh, curious and curious, you know what I'm saying? Abe's dinner, he's distracted the entire time. I'm confused the entire time. And then he starts talking. And at first, I'm like, I literally was getting tired watching this part of this this scene. And I was like, ugh, maybe I should just like take a nap. <laughs> like, I, I didn't want to keep going. And then he woke me up. Because he's having this awakening about women in general, but specifically about Midge. As he's recognizing that Esther, between Esther and Ethan, Esther is going to be the the genius. She's the one who's showing promise based on being able to just hear him play the piano. And then days later, she just sits at the piano and plays the whole thing. And he talks about Midge's strength and fearlessness. And he says, I never really took her seriously which was fascinating to hear him admit. It's like he's admitting it to himself as much as he is to the other men at the dinner with him. And he says, what could she have been if I'd helped her instead of ignoring her, ignoring who she really is? Gosh, how beautiful was that? 
And it makes you wonder, right? How many people have felt ignored and left to do it alone? And yet, what could have been if they had gotten the help they needed? If they had been given attention? Abe says, my daughter is a remarkable person. And I don't think I've ever said that. Like, ooh, oh my gosh, how stunning was that writing? How stunning was Tony Shalhoub delivering that? It was beautiful. I mean, that scene is worth not napping <laughs> and watching again because it was spectacular. And then we end the episode with Midge rushing off because she got some phone call that clearly there's some kind of emergency of sorts. So they're going to be wrapping up The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. We are back on track. I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know how they're going to close it out. I am curious and excited and a little sad. I'm not as sad as I thought I was going to be, mostly because I feel like they butchered most of this season. But we'll see how they wrap it up next week. I am so very excited for us to talk about Queen Charlotte, Season 1, Episode 3. Okay, it's Coronation Day. And on the outset, it looks like everything's great. And reality, nope. Nope, 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 nope. Nothing good. Nothing good. So Brimsley sees George being examined, which we know is going to be a problem. We, I mean, come on. We, we knew that this was going to, that stuff was going to start to come out, right? And then we meet Violet. And yeah, listen, sometimes it takes, a while, it takes a while for me to put the pieces together, okay? I can admit that. Everybody who knows me well knows this. My nieces laugh at me all the time about it, but it is what it is. Literally, it was like a full page of notes before I wrote, is Violet Viscount Bridgerton? Yes, Keela. Yes, she is. Why don't you know that? I, listen... We know this about me at this point, how I, I struggle with the names. And by the way, learning that about myself has made me much better at reviewing these shows because now when I start a new show, I write down everybody's names and it makes a huge difference. Okay, so we have this love-hate relationship going on between George and Charlotte because they understand that they're like doing this I mean, it's like a, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how they are in every way, like figuring out that while they have this like relationship that they are getting to know each other, they also just don't like each other, but yet they kind of love each other because they literally have to try to make a baby. So they have this even even day thing. And it's it's interesting to watch because they are like they like can't get enough of each other to the point that they almost yo, they almost like went it things were going down at the dinner table with the whole staff there. Like, what is going on? It was wild. It was wild. So we get some information. The king doesn't socialize. Like, what is that about? Brimsley drops the mention of the doctor. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. Charlotte 
cannot let anything go. Why he? Why did he tell her? Like, we get, we understand why he told her. And yet, at the same time, we're like, why did you tell her? Because she's not going to be able to think of, focus on anything else but getting to the bottom of that mystery. So, we have Agatha meeting with the king's mother. Whose name, by the way, I do not know. And I, I watch the entire show, the whole series. I, I never know her name. It just is what it is. I, they call her Princess Augusta. And I'm like, so, so Augusta's her name, but then they don't, I just call her the king's mother or George's mother. It is, listen, I, I just prefer it. So it's what we're doing. Agatha wants to hold the first ball of the season, and this is going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem because how dare they let the black woman hold the first ball? That's not how things are done. And yet I'm like, come on. She, no one else is stepping up and she's, she's being lovely. And so you have this interesting encounter between Lady Danbury and Viscount Bridgerton. So we're talking, so we've got, we've got Agatha, we've got Violet and yo, Agatha's like, you are most fortunate to have, basically to like have great memories of her husband and like Violet does not understand what she's trying to put down and like is offended by it. And then we find out later, we're like, no, 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 no. It's because, listen, Violet got to have a lovely relationship with her lovely husband where they were in love and goodness did Agatha not have that, right? So it's just one of those things. Violet's mother, is on Charlotte's court and she is a gossiping jerk. Oh, she is the, she's also a racist. Like she's just terrible. She is terrible. And she gets the other ladies to skip out on Agatha's ball at first. And I was like, yeah, dude, seriously? She is the worst. Parliament's having issues with Agatha's ball. And it's, and of course, Charlotte's not paying any attention because she's stuck on the mystery of George and the doctor. So like Brimsley, I get that you're trying to help, but actually you are getting in the way of Charlotte paying attention to the progress she's supposed to be making on behalf of her people. And of course, Agatha's going to let her know somehow, some way, like, let's be real. So Charlotte, has gotten over this whole thing of somebody else always having to pick her orange. And so she's like, listen, I will pick my own oranges from now on. And then we see that's a problem because her entire crew gets dismissed, meaning they lose their jobs. And she, for the first time, this is Charlotte having her like, whoa, 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 I'm not in Kansas anymore, I'm not in Germany anymore kind of moment. She's learning how her desire for independence, for wanting to get to the bottom of what's going on with George, her distraction, how all of that has consequences that affect other people. And it's the people that she's meant to see to the welfare of. And boy, does she correct, thank goodness. Lord Ledger, Violet's father, is a kind and generous and welcoming man. He's so, so lovely. The king asks people to attend the ball. Everybody goes to the ball, but they're dancing separately. And as I suspected, Lord Ledger goes over, leads the charge, asks Lady Danbury to dance. And it's 
spectacular. They have this lovely ball. It's beautiful. Everybody has a nice time or pretends to, which by the way, works. <laughs> like we'll take a pretend, that's okay. But then, whoa, Charlotte wakes up to George scribbling on the freaking walls. And I'm like, what in the beautiful mind is happening right here, right? He's screaming in the garden. He's talking to Venus. And I'm like, did George end up having a mental breakdown? Like, what did we just watch happen? What is going on here? It, like, it was almost like a, like a, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation. I am so confused. I'm so very excited to see what in the world is going on, but I am so confused. A couple of things, because I just recognized that I skipped a note, and this note is important. Agatha's husband dies. He dies. We finally don't have to deal with this dude anymore. And Agatha, everything that she did to make him happy, he ends up taking credit for. And it really gets on my nerves. It really bothers me. It happens every time. And it all leads to her having to endure more relations with him. When he's happy, more relations. When he's mad and disappointed and feeling like he's not seen, more relations. Like, and suddenly you see what she means when she was talking to Violet about you, you were most fortunate. You know what I'm saying? But what's amazing is how Agatha goes to Coral, who's like her, her, I don't know the, the phrase. I'll call her the assistant because that's just appropriate compared to all the other things, right? And she goes, we're done. <laughs> like, this has been an arrangement and an expectation, which it was, for years. Like, oh my gosh, we're done. And they have a whole way of how they let them know that, oh, we're, we're going to be wrapping this thing up. Okay, I'm going to go back in and then you come in. And <laughs> that part was actually kind of hilarious. And we have that amazing conversation where the daughters confront adult Queen Charlotte, older Queen Charlotte, and lets them know, like, you, mm, we, we've tried. We've been trying. And Brimsley says, you're still his queen, forever frozen, talking about George. And it's like, what in the world happened? George has some kind of near-death episode? Like, what is going on? I, I have so many questions. We have, so there's, there's still a lot to uncover and unpack and it's going to be very interesting to see it all come together. I'm loving the show. I'm really excited to keep talking about it. We are gonna jump into episode four next week, so stay tuned. It is season finale time for the last thing he told me season one episode seven finale i don't know that we're getting another episode i think this was meant to be a mini series based on the book and so this is probably the end of it 
and wow, how they just nailed it. I am, this is one of those shows that makes you eager to read the book after the fact. So they closed it out and I was nervous because I looked at the time of how long the episode was and it looked like 30 something minutes and I was like, that is not nearly long enough. And then after the intro of the like the recap of what happened before, it was literally, we got 30 minutes, y'all. We got 30 minutes of television. And I thought for sure this is going to be rushed and I'm going to be angry and this isn't going to be good. And I was wrong. I was wrong. So let's wrap it up. Charlie and Kate's mom died the day that Nicholas got out of prison. When you start to see or hear the details of just the the ripple effect impact of Owen slash Ethan giving up state's evidence against the Capano family and therefore putting Nicholas Bell behind bars, you understand. You listen, Charlie takes Kate, sorry, Charlie takes Hannah to the compound called Sanctuary, the house on the lake. I'm like, that is not a house. That is a compound. There's guards. There's guard dogs. That place is stunning. It is so beautiful. And then you find out that Charlie and Kate's mom, Meredith, Nicholas, Nicholas's wife, she built the whole thing. She chose every single, she made every single decision. She created that entire beautiful place, called it sanctuary, and then died when Nicholas got out of prison. They never even got to live there together. Like, oh, the heartbreak. Of course he has a vendetta. Owen calls Bailey and you're like, oh my gosh, what? And then Nick, and Nicholas sends Charlie away and I'm like, ruh row. this isn't good. This isn't good. So Hannah did what I thought she was going to do, but I wasn't quite sure exactly how, like exactly if it was going to go this way, but it did. Sorry, my squeaky chair, when I move a certain way, it squeaks. And thank you for just bearing with me because sometimes I got to move. I get animated and excited, y'all. So the deal is for Nicholas to be able to have a relationship with Bailey, but protect her. The Capano family is going to come after Ethan forever. They're never going to let this go. But if Nicholas wants to have a relationship with Bailey, or as he knows her as Kristen, he can have that and he has to protect her, which Hannah knows he will. And of course, Hannah recognizes that that means she can never be with Owen again because Nicholas will never have it and it'll always be a danger to Bailey. And it's like Hannah recognizes that Owen recognized that. When he made the plans, when he left, he knew that he'd never be able to come back. And it was heartbreaking. It was really, really heartbreaking. There was a really great scene in the state marshal's office where Bailey is talking to... Um, the state marshal whose name is escaping me right now, but it's okay. But he's trying to talk them into witness protection again. And 
he says, I know Ethan. And Bailey's like, excuse me? I know my father. And I know if he would have wanted me to listen to you, he would have said so. And that, for me, was such a moment of, you go, girl. Specifically because as somebody who had really a really close relationship with my mom when she was alive and who has a really close relationship with my dad, you know your parents. You may not know all of their history and you may not know everything that they've done or necessarily would be capable of doing, if you're being fair, but you know your parents and you know how they feel about you and what they'd be willing to do to protect you. And so when Bailey talks about what her dad said, that he only had 22 seconds, and what he said was to listen to Hannah, Bailey knows that if what he really meant was listen to State Marshal so-and-so, he would have said that, but he didn't. He used his 22 seconds to say exactly what he needed to say, and he was very clear to listen to Hannah. And as Hannah expressed, she knew and understood that Owen knew and understood that Hannah would do everything she could to protect Bailey. She knew, or he knew, Owen knew that Hannah would figure out a way to keep Bailey's life intact. And she did. So Belle's people... I'm sorry, I skipped a beat. So they decide to go with the plan of Nicholas Bell and the family. She's going, Bailey's going to be able to have a relationship with them. They're going to be able to have a relationship with her. She's going to meet her cousins at some point. They're going to like slowly in a way that works for Bailey integrate kind of getting to know each other. But it, but you see at the airport that Bell's people are watching them. There are people who are stationed in different places, right? Who are clearly there to protect them. Um, which was interesting because you start, we start the show at the beginning, seeing that there are people who are clearly watching them and you're like, what is going on here? And those people are not Nicholas Bell's people. Those were the Capano family people who are like about to do whatever they need to do, right? They're probably clearly reporting back to the Capano family. But at the end, it's like you have people watching you because they're there for protection. And then we get the five-year time jump. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this the moment? Are we going to get a glimpse of Owen slash Ethan? And we do. And oh, it's like just a, a single like pass by. And it's sweet and beautiful and heartbreaking all at the same time. And... I did see people on Instagram asking like, what did he say? I had the closed captioning on and it looked like he said all the, what did he say? All the could have been boys still love you. Or like he said, this could have been boys still loves you. Either way, we get the message and it was just, oh, so sad. And then Bailey shows up and he, and she calls Hannah mom. And it's just huh, perfect end to a spectacular show. Man, 
they just do it. Reese Witherspoon from Hello Sunshine, their production company, man, they just do it right every single time. Laura Dave, who was the author of the book, I don't know if her last name is pronounced Dave or if it's Dave, I believe it's Dave, but I could be wrong. Uh, spectacular writing. This was just a great show. I loved it, loved it, loved it. I have been impatiently waiting to introduce you to the newest show that we are watching and reviewing on the podcast. It is on Apple TV and it is called Silo. Oh, this show is so, so good. I'm all, I know a show is good when I don't want to take notes. And I say that because it means I just want to absorb the show. I don't want to hit pause. I don't want to write things down. I just want to be in the world of the show. I also know a show is good when I end up taking a lot of notes, which I did. I think I have about six pages. They're small pages, but there are six of them. And lastly, I know a show is good when I start getting sad about the time I'm going to have to wait between the end of the current season and the start of the new season. And this is episode one, y'all. We are on the first episode of this season. And I'm like, oh, you know we're going to have to wait at least a year before they release season two. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I haven't even started yet. And I'm already upset. That is how I know I am hooked. It doesn't, there are very few indicators truly necessary for me to be able to recognize, oh man, I'm all in on this one. So this show instantly, I was like, this gives me the 100 vibes. If you watch the 100, I love, I love that show. Oh my gosh. These are the shows, these kinds of shows, these like dystopian universe type shows my mom and I loved and I'm like oh my gosh my mom would be so into this show I'm so mad that she's not here anymore because I would be she would be my first person to debrief with I'd be like mommy oh my gosh did you watch because we there's so much to unpack here so you y'all this is going to be juicy I hope you are ready for it it also reminds me of like Hunger Games book three, right? Like last two movies vibes. Like it, it's so great. Okay, so silo. It's not safe to go outside. We don't know who built the silo. We have, we start with the sheriff who's Holston Becker. He's locking himself up and he makes a declaration that he wants to go out and he wants to see her. And we're like, uh-oh, rut row, what's going on here? So it's clear that whenever you say, whenever somebody says that they want to go out, it is a declaration that has to be followed. We find out later a little bit more as to why, and we meet some characters along the way. So the deputy, Deputy Marnes, Sam, who's the officer who locks up um, Holston, they're clearly friends. And He's trying to, I mean, he can't talk. That's just it. Like, that's how you know it's bad. It's bad that Holston said, I want to go out because there's nothing, you can't undo it. So Marnes can't even talk him out of it. It's already been done. 
So it's, it's very interesting. We're like, they grip you right away. They like take you into this world and they start unpacking, unraveling what it is and how it works and getting you really wrapped up in this story. And I love that. The silo, it's like built similar to a spinal column. If you watch the intro, I tend to skip intros on television shows um, that are streaming because they're just boring and I want to get to the good stuff. But when it's a new show, I, t I will always watch the intro the first time because they often give you clues and you, you get a little bit of the world. You get to understand like where you're, where you're at, what kind of stuff is going to be going on. So clearance needs to be applied and permission needs to be granted for people to reproduce, which is fascinating. And you get a year. So we have Holston and his wife, Allison, who are trying to have a baby. And this is their third time. This is their third time they've essentially applied and been granted permission to try to reproduce, which is very similar to the 100 in the sense of there's a cap on population. There are only so many people who can live there. Therefore, you got to control the population one way or another. One of the ways is by limiting reproduction. Another way is by getting rid of people who do bad things. And in this show, if you're basically, if you're, if you commit crimes, um, they are going to send you out to clean, which means they're basically going to send you out of the silo, which is the only safe place um, to live and breathe so that you go outside and you clean the window so that people can actually see the outside, which is destitute and horrible, um, but then you die. So we should have seen that coming. So we meet this fertility counselor, Gloria, who the sheriff does not like. He thinks that she's just like, she's bad news. She just tries to sell people on stuff that doesn't work, yada, yada, yada. And they have this birth control capsule that's been planted really deep. It makes me think kind of of like an IUD. Um, and they, right, they go to the doctor and the doctor takes it out. And it's like, okay, you can, you can give it a go, right? So there's all of these phrases that are kind of dropped on us. We have judicial, which seems like the governing body. Um, we have the rebels, who are the ones who are blamed for erasing history and the before times. And then we have the pact, which is the only history that they have. So basic premise of what we have going on here. There was a rebellion. There was something really bad that happened. And when that happened, before that, that's known as the before times. The rebels are the ones who were responsible for the rebellion and they went through and oh, they're the ones blamed for erasing history. Hard drives, um, books, video, music, data. There's nothing to be known about what happened before that particular time in history. And of course, they created the pact, which is like, their agreement, their way of life, how they go about things. It's like their law book moving forward. Time is ticking. They now have 100, they meaning um, Holston and Allison, have 157 days left to conceive. 
She's 37 years old, so she's mindful of her fertility. And it's Freedom Day. And somebody says Rebellion Day would be more accurate. So that is the day that marks how much time has gone. It's been over 140 years since the rebellion. But now they celebrate it as Freedom Day. They talk about it getting harder to clean or harder to see because no one wants no one wants a cleaning, which it's interesting. A cleaning is a death. Let's just be clear about that. If someone goes out to clean, they don't come back. It's not like a, oh, it's a task or a job. It's how they refer to somebody being put to death. So servers were erased, books were burned. Gloria has a conversation with Allie, Allison, and she's, she wonders. There, she's got like a bit of a like conspiracy theory situation going on. She thinks that judicial is listening, so she turns the water on when they're having conversations. And she, she poses the question of, would they want you making a baby? Which you're like, wait a second, what? So Allie works in IT. She gets this assignment that requires travel, which we learn travel is by foot. It's exhausting. You have 140 plus levels and you have to actually walk down these levels to go to where you're going. So it's like, oh, snap, that's not, that, that's no small feat. Okay. So she gets this assignment from a, a ticket from someone named George. And she decides to go, well, she doesn't decide. She's assigned to go check it out, see how she can help. She had made a post on how to retrieve deleted files. And her boss, Bernard, took it down. He said it's against the rules. And George had printed it out before it was taken down. But he's worried about judicial and the relics. So a relic is any particular item that was from the before times. And those things are illegal to have. He has a drive and the log starts before the rebellion. And you're like, wait a second, what? So that means this is a relic for sure. And it's also over 140 years old. So the goal for everyone in the silo or so they say, um, I'm sorry, no, I, I almost misspoke. The goal on for the rebellion on this day, 140 years ago, six minutes and six seconds past six o'clock on this day, right? That's the moment we regained our freedom. That's how they referred to Freedom Day. But the goal of the rebellion was to open the door to the outside world. And you're like, wait a second though, well, why? Uh, why were, so there are people who were just trying to like open the door and like kill everybody? Is that, was, was that the plan? What's really going on here? So we go back to George and Allie. And the drive has the word library on it. And that's what opens it. And oh, wow. So, Allison makes it clear that they could send you out to clean for even having that drive because it's a relic, right? And the silo 
blueprint of levels 1 through 20, which are the top levels of the entire silo, are on the drive. And there's a tunnel in the basement, which you're like, where does that leave? And Allie goes to see Gloria, and then she goes to see George in the following days because, right, she a seed has been planted and now it's it's blooming and she she can't let it go and she asks Gloria why wouldn't they want us having children which by the way to me is the right question to be asking so there is talk of oh right they find on the drive the Jane Carmody cleaning and in that drive is evidence there's like video there are birds flying out there. It looks beautiful outside. And you're like, wait, what? What is going on? Now at this point, we've got seven hours and 44 minutes remaining on the time for Holston and Allie to be able to have children. So like, if they don't get pregnant in the next under eight hours, time's up, they're not having kids. And they have a doctor's appointment at 11 o'clock. And... Then you, we get the, we get the scene, which they put a clip of this on Instagram. And I was like, why would they do that? This is a major scene. I can't believe this. I mean, talk about spoiler alert. I was very confused and annoyed by the fact that they thought that this was reasonable to put on the internet for people who haven't seen the show yet. So if you've seen this, I'm sorry, you should not have, but it is clear that Allie is, Allie doesn't go to the doctor's office. Um, Holston's freaking out. He runs back home because somebody says that she's, oh, she's in the cafeteria, right? Or no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm out of, I'm out of order. First, she is at, she's at home. He goes home. She's sitting there and she's saying the enforcers of the pact want docile, obedient people to have kids. And She's like, he, the doctor never took up my birth control. And he's like, yes, he did. We saw. And she's like, no, we didn't see. There was a curtain between us. He didn't take my birth control out because I just did. And she opened her hand and her birth, her bloody birth control is in her hand. And you see the knife that was on the table is in, covered in blood because she cut the birth control out of her stomach. Oh my gosh. That moment, mind Alone. And I was like, I am hooked. I am here for this. Oh my gosh, what a reveal. So Holston runs to get the doctor because he's afraid that Allie's going to bleed out, right? And at this point, Allie has made it to the cafeteria. And you're like, oh snap. And I also wrote down, like, do they not have phones? Like, the sheriff is running to the doctor's office. Uh, can they not call each other? It seems like they can't. But okay, they cannot. Allison's in the cafeteria trying to tell people the truth and people are like, she's having a breakdown. It's like, oh gosh, of course, if a woman is saying something important and loudly, she must be hysterical. But anyway, she makes the declaration, I want to go out. And I was like, oh no. And this is when we find out that if you don't want to go out, you don't say you want to go out. It is their like cardinal law. It is their highest um, highest point in the pact that if you say you want to go out, you will. 
So they have to listen. They have to abide. They can't try. They can't try to make it up. They can't ignore her. It, that this is happening, and Holston, of course, is like confused and heartbroken and doesn't understand. So George Wilkins must have hit the drive, because at this point Holston's trying to figure out what happened. He knows that Allison, he suspects that Allison went to see Gloria. He suspects that she went to see George. They go to George's place. They search it. The drive is gone or they don't see it. Therefore, he must have hit it properly. Gloria talks and is like, they, they can't really seem to figure out what happened. And going outside is like an, an event for with spectators, which I find fascinating and kind of weird. But like, okay. Allison tries to tell Holston the truth while she's locked up. We meet Mayor Johns and, um, but yeah, Allison tries to tell Holston the truth. She lets him know that the computer screens change what we see as outside. And she's like, why do people clean? Why do they go through with it? She's like, because they are hoping that what they see outside is not the reality. And then she tells Holston, that if what she sees is the truth, she won't clean. She makes it clear to him, I have a plan. If what I see is the truth, if what we see as like this dark, desolate place with bodies on the ground of previous people who've gone out to clean, if that is what is really out there, I won't clean. I'll wave goodbye. But if it's beautiful, if it's what we think it is, I'll clean. And then I'll walk over the hill and I'll find out what's going on and I'm gonna come back for you. So that's what we're expect, so we know, we know what to expect. So the cardinal law of their society is that any desire to leave the silo is granted, but it's irrevocable, you, there's no going back. She's been asked to clean, but she can't be forced to clean. So now we, we know that aspect of things. Once she's outside the airlock, she's outside of the law. And she goes outside and she cleans people. She cleans, which means it's all a lie. That means it is in fact beautiful out there. And then we see her start to walk towards the hill and then fall down and it looks like she dies. And you're like, what? And I have so many questions. I'm like, what is it? Like, do the suits suffocate them? Or do the computer programs generate a new image of them? Like, what, what happened? Clearly, it's stunning out there. It's not this desolate, awful place. So what is going on? I don't understand. Then we get a two-year-later time jump. George has transferred to mechanical. And then we find out that he's dead. He went over the rail at 120, which is like, what? Like, I think it's like level 120 or something, but nobody saw him go over. And there's an engineer that says that it's murder. And they have to go down to meet her because she couldn't make it up there or something. I don't know. So the generator, which it looks like is like the power source for the silo, it's what keeps everybody alive. She is like in charge of keeping it running. And we meet her. Her name is Juliet Nichols. And she apparently changed everything for Holston. She's the reason that Holston finally started listening 
to what Allison had been trying to tell him. And that's how we end episode one. <laughs> Y'all, I am going to be honest with you that at this time of recording, I have watched the first four episodes. They, they dropped episode one and two, it looks like, on the same day. I caught the show, I think it was like the day after, perhaps? I think it was the day after the first two, no, after episode three had dropped. And so there was enough time before I saw episode four, I'm recording this on Sunday. I saw episode four, the episode drop on Friday. So I, I know a lot more information now, but I am not going to ruin this for you the same way that I've seen all of Queen Charlotte, but I'm going to give it to you one episode a week at a time so that you can enjoy it and like look forward to the next recap. Even if you end up binging ahead, listen, we're going to just, we're going to dive in one episode at a time. And this show is awesome. I love it. I am here for it. I cannot wait for more. Uh, what a incredible week of television. I'm pumped. I have an entire list of new shows that are coming back in the next little while. We have some shows that are starting up new. Let, let, let me give you a little bit of a breakdown. We have MasterChef, which we, we started with Love is Blind. Um, but in terms of reality television, I haven't really been talking about it, but I, I watch a lot of reality TV. So Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is going to be coming back soon. We're going to be jumping into that. MasterChef is coming back this week. So I'll probably have, um, I don't know if I'm going to review the auditions. They're kind of boring for me at least, but like once they start cooking, then I'll probably start to review those. Um, and then we have Severance season two. I don't know when it's coming back, but I know season two is coming. We have um, just a, a slew of good TV coming for the summertime. I'm really, really excited and I cannot wait to talk with you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Loves to Chat podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you like to listen. Give a comment on this episode and let me know what resonated with you, made you laugh, or is going to have you thinking for the rest of the day. Follow me on Instagram at Loves to Chat and at Keela Fowler, spelled K-E-E-L-A-F-O-W-L-E-R. Now let's go out there and live our lives in such a way that it would make the little kids in us proud. I'll see you next week.